our membership has not changed for many decades. So what I'm trying to do is really start to introduce some different type of membership categories and think about the organization not as just an appraiser organization that individuals will come to us to get their designation, but an organization that anyone that's in this field, from lawyers to insurance people, anyone that has some type of involvement in appraisers could come to this organization and be part of our ecosystem. Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Johnny White, CEO of ASA, a professional society for appraisers. Johnny, welcome to the show. Hello, Joanne. How are you? I'm great. So, hey, Johnny, tell us about ASA. ASA is a very unique organization. We're an organization that provides the designation and education for appraisers. And we're not talking just one type of appraiser. We have six types of appraisers. We have machine and equipment appraisers. And these are individuals that appraise from corporate jets to construction equipment. We have business valuation appraisers and they usually are appraising companies. So if you're buying or selling a company, they're gonna go in and appraise that asset. We have Jim and Jewelry appraiser, which is self-explanatory, appraise diamonds, rubies, any type of jewelry. And we have personal property appraiser. And that runs the gamut from antique furniture, antique cars, high-end artwork, high-end purses. I saw a handbag that was (gasps) $50,000. You wouldn't want to take it out. No, you would not want to take that out. And then we have real property appraisers, which most consumers know who real property appraisers are because they are the ones that appraise homes. But they also appraise commercial properties too. So there's residential appraisers and then there's commercial appraisers. And then the last appraiser we have is uh, appraiser review managers. And these are individuals that normally work at a bank or an insurance company, and they're reviewing the appraisal reports in order to approve them for that loan or something that you're going to get assurance on. So, Johnny, how does one become an appraiser and is there state licensing involved? Well, out of these six different appraisers, the only one that has a license, state license, so it's governed by the state and actually governed federally, is the real property appraisers. They have to take a number of exams within that state in order to acquire that state license the rest of the appraisers, there is no governance by the federal or state in terms of providing them licensing. But if they want to provide their services, it's good to belong to an organization like ASA because it's going to provide them 
the knowledge and skill set that they need to appraise that asset. And so the way the process worked for ASA is they would have to take some education. We have four courses, which we call principles of evaluation. These courses are four days long and there's an exam after each course. So they take these four courses and once they've completed the coursework, they have to take an ethics exam because we make sure that they're ethically going to provide their services in the right way. And then they have to submit an appraisal report, a report that kind of talks about how they're appraising that asset. So it's an example of their work. It's an example of their work. That appraisal report is reviewed by our board of examiners. And if it meets all of the different criteria, they are able to get the designation. And you have to come to the table with experience. So either you have five years of experience, that will give you our senior level of designation, or you need to have two years of experience, and that gives you the accredited member category. So that's kind of how you become an appraiser. Wow. So it's not like something I just decide to do. There's a lot of education that goes on behind it. So Johnny, you've got two certifications, two designations, and two specialty designations. So what's the difference and why would I get one or the other? The designations are the ASA designation, that's the senior level, and then there's the accredited member designation. And then we have specialty designation. And these are specific areas within the designation. So for example, in the machine and equipment area, there's a specialty for aircraft appraiser. So that's the only thing that you oh. are appraising are corporate aircraft. So you can get a designation that specializes in aircraft. In personal property, there's a number of specialties, such as instruments, musical instruments. You can get a specialty in that, or fine arts, you know, especially in that. So there's segments within each of these designations that are specialized, and that's when you get the specialty. So I have a great deal of jewelry from my mom. Some of it is very large, <laughs> and I don't wear it. It's beautiful, though. So if I ever wanted an appraisal of the jewelry, and I just went to my local jewelry store... I really don't have any idea if the jeweler has any type of formal training or designation. So what would I ask her? Well, you want to ask that appraiser that's working in the jewelry store, what type of designation do you have? The majority, and I'd say majority, every jeweler that's working in a jeweler store that's an appraiser, they at least have a gemologist diploma. And that just says that they understand stones and that sort of stuff. But they need to take it to the next level. And that is understand how to approach that asset, which would be the jury, in terms of appraising it. And that's what they learn by coming to an organization like us, where we're teaching them how to appraise. So you're going to ask that person, what's your designation? And if they don't have a designation, then you want to encourage them to come to ASA to get their designation. Because that will help them understand how to value something. Correct. And value it correctly because, you know, and let's talk about jewelry a little bit more detail there. For diamonds, there are two types of diamonds out there right now. There's the lab-grown diamonds and then there's the natural-grown diamonds. And they look very similar. Oh. It's hard to sort of tell the difference between the two. And that's where you have an, an appraiser that understands the difference between the two. And so they're going to value it correctly because there's been a number of times, unfortunately, where lab-grown diamonds have been valued way above what they should be valued because that appraiser didn't do their due diligence in looking at that asset. So that's a good example of why you need to have an educated expert such as appraiser when you're looking at some of these assets, such as the diamond. Wow, lab-grown diamonds. I'm learning something new. <laughs> Johnny, 
Before we get into the things that you are doing at ASA to thrive and grow, tell us how you became CEO of ASA. How'd you get here? Well, it's a long journey. I've been in this industry, I think, almost close to 30 years at this point. The association space. The association space, yes. But it's been majority in the healthcare space. I have either ran or been on the senior staff for multiple medical associations throughout my career. And then one day I thought, you know, let me move on from the organization I was moving on from and thought I'd try to do something different, something that's going to challenge me. And that's kind of how ASA came about, because I know nothing about appraising. I know nothing about this profession. So I thought, A, that would be great to learn a new profession. And then B, be in an organization that's not healthcare. You know, healthcare has their own specialized things such as, you know, abstracts and registries and right. Yes. Yes. Registries. I oh, I remember the days of registries. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have those type of aspects when you're running an organization like this. This is an organization that you're dealing with, especially appraisers. You're dealing with different types of individuals. You're dealing with business owners. You're dealing with individuals that are working in large accounting firms. And so it's a different makeup of individuals that you're working with. And I felt that that would be a challenge for me or a good ah. challenge for me to learn how to work with these type of individuals and then also work in a different profession that's totally different than healthcare. So you wanted a big challenge, but how did you get into the association space in the first place? Because every guest on this podcast talks about how they kind of bumped into it. Yeah, I fell into this space. So I have a degree in computer science. And when I first came out of college, I focused on database. I was a database administrator. So I was the guy that was sitting in that dark room, which I hated that dark room. <laughs> managing data. you managing data. And running reports. Programs. I was a programmer. I, I knew how to program and all kinds of different languages. I won't even go through those different languages. But one of the programming was database language. So I was the one that was developing the membership database and the meeting registration database. And so I sort of kind of stared towards the meeting side of the business because I was the guy. And this is way back before there was registration companies and, you know, there was actual companies you hired to do stuff. Yes. I had in-house staff. So I was the in-house staff that would develop the registration system and then travel to the meetings, set up all the computers, train the staff, train the temporary staff. Wow. This is so funny. And this is the back in the day when banks couldn't go state by state. I would collect all the cash, put it in a backpack and get on a plane and bring it back to the state so we can deposit into the West Night. This is dating myself, but this is what I used to do. Oh my God. <laughs> You're carrying $100,000 in a backpack? <laughs> yes, that was me. Thank God we didn't have security and so forth back then because they might have pulled me over when they saw what was in that bag. <laughs> wow. Okay, so you came to ASA to grow the organization and take on a new challenge. So how's membership? How's it going? It's coming along. It's slow. With any association that has been around for almost 80 years, people are they do the same thing over and over again. And the and reason I say that is our membership has not changed for many decades. So what I'm trying to do is really start to introduce some different type of membership categories and think about the organization, not as just an appraiser organization that individuals will come to us to get their designation, but an organization that anyone that's in this field from lawyers to 
insurance people, anyone that has some type of involvement in praisers can come to this organization and be part of our ecosystem. And so over the last few years, I've been successful in some ways of adding some new membership categories. Slow, but it's starting to come to fruition. And when you think of, again, an organization that's been around for as long as it has, you do have that mindset of members whereby they want everybody to go through the same process that they have. I mean, I, I use the analogy that my dad would always say when he went to school, you know, he would have to walk five miles in the snow and barefoot. Yeah, barefoot. So everybody should do the same thing. Well, that's the same mindset of a lot of organizations where their board, their governance wants everybody to do the same. But we know that there's a new generation coming about and they don't want to do what we did. Yes. They want to work differently. Yes. Which hats off to them. Agreed. They are enjoying life. They're having a balance to their life. And so now you think about that balance. They don't want to necessarily join these organizations, have this dues that they pay every year, not necessarily have to get on these committees and have to be on committee calls all the time and so forth. So we have a new set of type of individuals. So we have to change or adapt our model to bring these individuals in. Uh, so I'll use the analogy that, you know, when I was younger or coming up and into this day, you know, I buy music, I might buy the entire album. The younger generation are not buying entire items. They're buying pieces of it. They're streaming everything. So, you know, they don't have to buy anything. They're just streaming it all. Right. Well, we have to think differently in that sense. So with that said, I'm looking at adding different categories of membership. For example, we started a new category that's an ally member. You don't have to be a full-fledged appraiser. You're just an individual that's in the space. So let's use Jim and Jury as an example. If you have a gemology diploma, you could come to this organization and join the ally category. That gets them into the house, that gets them under the umbrella. So they can start to you know, engage with other members. They can start having access to education. And eventually down the line, if they want to, they can go through the process of getting designation. But that gets them in into the ecosystem so they can start to learn some different things and that sort of thing. So that's an example of trying to change our model whereby not everybody that comes to us has to go through the process of getting a designation. They can come to us because they just are part of the the profession in somewhat way, but not necessarily a full-fledged appraiser. That's really fascinating. So what you're saying is, if you're thinking about this, or maybe you're adjacent to it, or maybe you work for an appraiser, you can still be a member. You can be an ally member, and you don't have to have gone through the four days times four coursework and five years of experience or two years of experience that you can still be part of the membership. Absolutely. And and even another category I, we just launched not too long ago is, is a category for academia. Those that are professors that are in schools, like you have art professors out there or finance professors or accounting professors. These are still areas that are associated with the appraiser business, but they're not appraisers. They're just educators. And there's two folds why I started this category. One is this gives these individuals an opportunity to be part of an organization where some of the stuff they're teaching is some of the stuff that we're teaching our members. So it gives them access to some of this content. But the other thing is it's going to provide more exposure to them and their students. So you think about it. I mean, if I have a art professor that's 
part of my organization and I'm continually, you know, sending them communication where they're going to take that communication and hopefully pass it down to their students. And then this is going to help me with a pipeline of trying to get the younger individuals to be part of our organization because they are aware of this profession because their professor talks about it. You know, Johnny, this is brilliant. We have many clients where the members, when we interview them, say, I became a member because my faculty advisor told me to. So you're creating relationships with these advisors in the hopes that then they'll tell their students, you got to be a member of ASA if you have even a passing interest in this. Absolutely. I mean, I think all of us, and I'm talking just the field of associations who we represent different member categories or different professions, we're all suffering where our memberships are aging. Yes. And I look at our membership, I mean, for some of these categories that I talked about, my average age is in their 60s. Because interesting enough, you know, if you look at Jim and Jury and personal property members and somewhat machine and equipment, they come into this field as a second career. Ah. They've been a curator at an art museum or... They've been buying and selling aircraft. Yeah, exactly. And so they come with experience because they've done that all their career. And then they want to transition. They want to do something different. And that's when they come into the appraiser field. So just think about this is their second career. So I'm getting them when they're in their 40s, but probably 50s and close to 60s because they're retiring from that career to start a new career. So I'm starting off with a base that's from an age standpoint, 50s and 60s. So that's why I'm having such an aging issue with our members. So we're, we're trying to increase more awareness to those younger individuals as they're thinking about what profession they want to go into. Because they could definitely come into this profession early in their career as they're gaining their experience. Now, Johnny, you've got something that you've just launched called ASA Difference, where you're trying to create awareness of the profession. And are you trying to do that so that more people will go into the profession or so that more people like me will insist on a designation? It's twofold. The first is to create more awareness about this profession. Again, I think from a consumer standpoint, most people know real property appraisers. Sure. But not a lot of people know about appraisers when it comes down to these other assets, you know, from jewelry to personal property and so forth. So I want to increase the awareness to consumers and those that use appraisal services. First of all, what appraiser is. And then second, when you are looking for appraiser, you're looking for a designated appraiser. As I talked earlier, there is no licensing for appraisers besides real property appraisers. So there's a lot of individuals out there that are appraising. You know, they can say that, you know, let's go back to the guy that has sold corporate aircrafts for many years. Well, he learned a lot now. He's saying he's an appraiser. And so he can hang his shingle out and say, hey, I'm appraiser. But why would you want to hire a guy that just has that experience, but doesn't have the teachings of what you would get through a designation program. And so what this program that we're doing in terms of trying to create awareness is creating awareness about the profession, but more importantly, creating the awareness that you want to have an individual that has a designation because they're going to give you the best service. They understand how they approach that asset from the different type of approaches that we teach, and it's going to give you the appropriate value so that whatever you're going to do with that asset, you have the right information. Johnny, what does this campaign look like? What are you doing to get the word out? So it started with us first trying to understand the profession, you know, what do people think of appraisers and that sort of stuff. And then from there, we developed a tagline and we developed 
collateral material or material that kind of could be used with our communication and the communication that our members are using. And so the goal here is to have everybody getting the word out about the services or the services that our members provide. And so what we did, which was genius, is first, the material that we developed, we used our own members. So we did this whole campaign where we had asked our members to send us pictures of them in the field because I didn't want to use models. Yes. I didn't want to show somebody that doesn't necessarily look like our members. And they're too perfect. (laughs) Yes, that is absolutely right. So we had our members send all these pictures of them in the field. And then we developed this collage of all of our members, you know, from a Jim and Jury appraiser looking at jury to a guy that's looking at a corporate aircraft to someone out in the field looking at construction equipment. And so we've developed this material that we're using and all the things that we're doing from a marketing standpoint. And then we've provided this collateral material to our members. So now they can use it in their LinkedIn. They can use it on their website. I was in Chicago not too long ago, and I was having lunch with a number of our members. And one of the members gave me their business card. And on the back of the business card, it used the same imagery that we're using in terms of sending it out. So this is really working, and we're all doing the same thing. Nice. And so this tagline that we have that we felt that resonated is respected, educated, accredited, the ASA difference. Ah. What it's saying is that if you have a designated member, they're respected in the field. They've gone through all the education that I kind of talked about with the four courses and so forth, and they're accredited. That's what that designation is. So that makes the difference when you are hiring an accredited ASA member versus an individual that's an appraiser but doesn't have a designation. I love it. And so I saw on the website that you've got this marketing toolkit that you want members to use when they're marketing themselves. So is that part of this whole campaign? That is part of that campaign. We're using um, Canva as our tool. They set up an account and then once they've set up the account, they can go in and all the photos, the taglines and all the things that they need are right there and they could just take it in and use it in all their different communication tools. Wow, I love it. So let's turn to something different, but sort of related. You launched something called ASA Connect, which is kind of another way, I guess, to bring more benefits to the members and bring them together. And maybe it was part of your pandemic strategy. So tell us about that. Our ASA Connect is, as I call it, our last leg of our technology stool. And let me back up and tell you kind of how we got to where we are today. So when I first came to the organization, I was not happy with our technology, specifically our website. Our website was just not where it needed to be. It had many, many issues. And I can go through the list of those issues. And I made a promise to our members. I mean, I I got hired in April and I remember my first time on stage at the annual conference in September. And I told them publicly that I hated our website and we're going to make a change. Well, one thing I didn't realize is I made this promise. I needed to look under the hood and look at all the other platforms that are connected to our website. And what I found was we had some archaic systems connected to our website. So we ripped the Band-Aid off and I changed every platform that we had. So we changed our association management system. We brought in a learning management system because we didn't have that at all. We changed our financial management system. We changed our CMS. That's the website. And so we made all these changes. And then once these changes were put in place, we were able to focus on the website. So we launched their website and all the different platforms all at the same time. 
March of last year. And as you know, with any technology, you have to tweak stuff as you go along. And we did all those different things. So we're at a very, very good place at this point. Now, the last leg was our ASA Connect. I wanted to provide a tool where our members can engage with each other much better. The engagement tool that we were using, I'm embarrassed to say it, we were using a listserv. Don't be embarrassed. Lots of organizations use them and people love them. They do. I'll tell you a quick story about people love them so much. So we launched ASA Connect. It is an engagement platform where you could log in. And our members, they're very, very good in working with each other. And what I mean by that, especially our personal property folks, let's say they get an asset, they get an artwork, and they don't know much about that artwork. So they'll post like, hey, I got this artwork. Anybody know about this artist? And then everybody will chime in, oh, I know them, and blah, 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 and then provide advice and so forth. So they're generous. Yes, very, very generous. So what this platform is allowing them to do is exactly that, where they can go in, post something, and then there's a lot of communication. The difference between the listserv, because they were doing that on a listserv too, they would email through the listserv and provide their feedback and so forth. But with that, you can't archive any information because it's all emails. We do have some members that use some archaic email platforms like AOL and listserv does not work with AOL. And then the imagery, you know, someone wants to upload something, Listserv wasn't working well with that sort of stuff. So this platform allows all of that. And they can, as you know, with any type of community thing, you can customize it. So they can get notifications, you know, as they happen, they can get them daily, they can get them weekly and so forth. So it provides some more functionality for our members. Now, the story I was going to say is I have some members who've been with us for a very, very long time. And so when we were taking away the listserv, a lot of upset members were like, how are you taking this technology away from us? And this is the best technology ever. They're talking about the listserv and not necessarily listening to the benefits of this new engagement tool. So we had a a member who had called and left a message and its message was just, they were irate. Like, how could you do this to me? This is my only tool that I use. It's my lifeline. It's the thing that I care about the most, right? Yes, yes. 10 minutes later, they call back. Oh, I logged into the system. This is really cool. Oh, I didn't know I could do this. I can do that. So. so it's like a mailing list or an email discussion, but on steroids. Yes. And they still have the email component. Yeah, and they still, and that's the key that we kept saying. You don't ever have to log in if you don't want to. You can still email, just, you know, use the email address that we have assigned for the communities and that sort of thing. So, but it, it expanded the communities because we have a community for each of the different disciplines. We have communities for each of the chapters. We have communities, of course, for all our different committees. And then we have specialized communities. So I talked about aircraft. They are a subset of our machine and equipment appraisers. So it's about 150. 25 aircraft appraisers. And so now we have a community just for them. There's a community just for our car specialty, you know, those that appraise antique cars. We're also adding communities for some of our member types. So for the candidate members, we're setting up community for them. We're talking about setting up community for our rising stars, our younger members. We're expanding, as you talk about steroids, we're expanding this listserv idea that we used to have into this really engaging tool where people of like minds are going to be able to communicate with each other. 
Hey, speaking of tools and technology, and by the way, your technology stool has more than three legs. It's got like five or six legs. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very large stool. (laughs) It's a centipede or something. So you've got your 12th annual equipment valuation conference coming up, and it's virtual. So talk to us about the virtual strategy versus your international conference will be in New Orleans in person. So everyone's thinking about, do I go virtual? Do I go hybrid? Like, what's your strategy? Yeah, I mean, we struggle with that too. I really would like to bring back some things in person, but we're just not getting the demand for in-person. Now, the equipment valuation conference that you talked about, that was an in-person program that we did in Cleveland for many years. Then pandemic happened and we went virtual. We did try to do the conference last year in Charlotte, Mm. but we just didn't have enough people that was willing to come in in person. So we brought it back to virtual. Our annual conference, the one that's in New Orleans, two years ago, I guess, and yeah, we brought it back in Vegas and it's a hybrid event. Vegas, we probably had 50-50. Wow. That was two years ago. So we had 50% came in person and then 50% were virtual. Last year, it was in Tampa. I think we were probably about 55% came in person and then the rest was virtual. And while we're in New Orleans, we're going to keep it hybrid and we'll see what those numbers will bring us. So our registration is open and it's trending from a registration standpoint, looking very good. Probably those that have registered at this point, maybe 30% are virtual. Wow. So you're keeping the virtual really because of the membership. It's because of the membership. Giving another example, we just, we do a lot of courses. I mean, as I talked about these courses, so we just did a course about three weeks ago. We had about 27 people register for the course. It was hybrid and we ended up having six people. We did it here in the office because one of the things that we're fortunate with, with this office space, we have some conference room space and we actually have auditorium and so forth that we can use. So we can hold programs here in this building. So we did a hybrid program and like I said, six were in person and the rest were virtual. Interesting enough, out of the six, three or four of them were from Mexico. I mean, they wanted to travel. They didn't want to do it virtually. So they traveled here and was with us for three days of that course. Wow. Well, you've got an international conference coming up in October. What are you promising at that conference? What we're promising in that conference is, first of all, high-end education. I mean, we're unique in that sense where, again, we're representing all these different type of appraisers. So we have a track for each of these different appraisers. The education is going to be top-notch. The other thing is the networking. The unique thing about this organization, again, we have all these different appraisers, but the benefit is these appraisers get to meet with each other, network with each other. As I talk to our members, there's a number of times where they may have a project, an estate, where it has multiple assets. You know, let's say it has a house, so you got the real estate. It has artwork in there. Maybe it's a high wealth individual that has corporate aircrafts and antique cars, whatever. So they're going to need different types of appraisers to be able to finish that project. So our conference gives them the opportunity to network with other appraisers who maybe one day they need to call upon to help them with different types of estates. Wow, Johnny, amazing. Congratulations on all the success that you've had. Thank you so much for sharing the different things that you're doing, including ASA difference and the changes to the governance that you're making. You know, almost every guest on this podcast talks about governance. So it's Again, fascinating that you're talking about governance. I hope you'll come back and talk to us about the continuing efforts to grow the organization and tell us about your different successes. 
Absolutely. I would love to come back and I can share the story specifically about governance and how we change the whole management of our board and what they're doing now. But we could say that for another podcast. Absolutely. I'm going to hold you to it. All right. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye. Bye.